we can throw this thing into the stratosphere. Perfect. All right. Uh, all right. Let me. I don't want to knock my microphone over again this time. So I got to make sure it's firmly planted before I deliver this. Firmly grasp it. Firm. Firmly grasp it. I put it. that in the beginning of the last pod, Austin. I'm not sure if it came through. Today, I'm not knocking it down. I knocked it down earlier before we started recording, but maybe mm-hmm. I got my one out of the way. Welcome back to the DI Scoreboard, everyone. I am your host, Austin Hansen, joined as always by my co-host, Siobhan Shahuja. Siobhan, how are we doing? Doing well. Immediately throwing bi-weekly out of the... Uh out of the picture but i guess starting now will be bi-weekly <laughs> we're coming back week by week um but <laughs> bi-weekly after we're just gonna drop pods whenever we're more of a soundcloud podcast <laughs> oh gosh uh, can we put this on soundcloud yes i mean that's up to kelsey but i think we can we can at least run it by her i think we know one of the summer editors who will uh, who will let that happen we are also joined by well, not Robert Reed, you know. He was a last second cancel. The message hit my inbox at at 12:41 p.m. Robert messaged me and said, "I am not doing today's pod." And I said, "Okay." I actually just said one word reply. I said, "Sad." But anyway, we don't need Robert, okay? He thinks it's okay to cheat with us on other pods. I'm now getting back at him. Mm. Um so there you go. But people that are here, we have Chloe Peterson, summer sports editor, women's basketball extraordinaire. Chloe, would you like me to tack anything else onto that? I just want to say that I don't have a fancy microphone and I feel kind of left out, but that's life. Uh, unfortunately, there is, there is only one fancy microphone at this apartment, but I can purchase a second one if need be. We are also joined by Will Fine. I think Will might have the fanciest microphone of all of us. He's got that six stand. I mean, he looks like Howard Stern right now. Will Feynman, DI sports reporter, volleyball and tennis extraordinaire. Will, how are we doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's not any fancier than Siobhan's. I think he was the one who sent me the link. I was about to say, it, is so. that the one I sent you the link? Yeah, it's for? the that's, one you sent me. So that's literally mine, Austin. Except I took the I took the stand down because I kept bumping my knee into it. it yeah, a, my, it my stand hazard. works. My stand works well. So this is really boring. I'm gonna I'll I'll talk about this later. But if anyway, I cut up my knee many times on that thing. Microphones aside, we we have a couple topics this week. Um, the first of which I want to talk about is Iowa volleyball. Things aren't great right now uh, over at Carver Hawkeye and Extreme Arena. Chloe, do you want to tell us a little bit about the recent happenings in Iowa volleyball? Yeah, so first of all, Jocelyn Boyer left. No one told us about that. Just happened in May randomly. She left for University of Wisconsin because she said that she wanted to be at a program that had a chance at a national championship. It's a little bit rough for Iowa, but that that's life. Um, but they did find a transfer in Mari Hinkle from UCLA, who is a libero. She spent two years at UCLA and she played in 68 sets over two seasons. And then her sophomore season, she played in two matches. She is a bit of a, a bit of a backup. She might start for Iowa. She might not. We don't really know the makeup of Iowa's lineup yet. But she is giving them some assistance in the backcourt after Jocelyn Boyer left. And then they also added a new assistant coach in William Totge. He's from Louisiana Tech. He coached there for two seasons as an assistant, where they went 13-15 and and then 1-19 last season. Um, He has some big-time coaching experience when he was a volunteer assistant at Ohio State. 
in 2018, I believe. And he has some Division Three coaching experience as well. But he is here to join the program as Coach Brown says he is a great fit. So uh, we should know Jocelyn Boyer was set to be Iowa's starting libero next season. She got some time in her freshman year uh, in back row. But on her Iowa career, they about 40 games of a career at Iowa. Uh, the Hawkeyes won 16 games. Uh, I believe they won six conference games. That could be incorrect. Let me let me double check on that. They won, yes, they won eight conference games uh, on her career. So she played 40 conference games, and Iowa won eight of them. So less than 50% of the games she played at Iowa amounted to wins. Um, and she left, like Chloe said, for Wisconsin because she wanted to win. Wisconsin, of course, what, the number one team in the nation or – top five all season last year. So clear wh- uh, why she made that decision. Uh, I don't know if she'll play at Wisconsin. I, I think she'll be behind one other libero for at least a year, but maybe she'll factor into their back row rotation somehow, add a little depth. It's kind of tough that the probably, I don't know, arguably Iowa's best player or second best player last year um, is going to Wisconsin and she will simply be a backup potentially. Um, which it's all speculation at this point, but I don't know. Will you watched them all year last year? I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Joslyn Boyer situation. Oh yeah, I definitely do. Um, that's a big hit for, for Iowa because Iowa all around really struggled last season, but their backcourt, the only reason they weren't, you know, how do I say this nicely? The worst in the big 10 was because of Jocelyn Boyer. Um, outside of that, you know, you had Maddie Slagle and Leanne Lowry, who was in her first season, basically going back and forth of who wanted to, you know, play worse and not be the starting um, defensive specialist along with Jocelyn Boyer. So, yeah, I mean, Jocelyn Boyer, Courtney Rosario probably had the best season out of anybody on the team. Um, she got, you know, first team all Big Ten. She got some region honors. But Jocelyn Boyer finished ninth in the Big Ten in digs. And, um, you know, she got thrown into a bad spot because she she was only, you know, her freshman year, she was a d- defensive specialist, got some time. But Hallie Johnson, you know, was there Libro and then uh, Libero and then the, you know, the seniors decided to opt out. So, you know, Coach Brown had to find um, a Libero and she threw, you know, Jocelyn Boyer into that spot at the beginning of the year. And, and it, it worked out, you know, she played really well this season. So um, it doesn't really you know, when I saw that, it doesn't really surprise. I don't want to say it doesn't surprise me, but she knew, you know, once she went to the, the transfer portal, she said she was going to bet on herself. And I think that's a good bet because, um, you know, she played really well coming off a great year and you knew somebody was going to, you know, pick her up and the best volleyball team in the country picked her up. Um, you know, they were number one in the nation for most of the year and then finished in the final four so. Yeah, the slope is kind of slippery for Iowa volleyball the last year or two, right? Obviously, they had Bon Shemansky. He brought in whatever, the number 24 recruiting class in the nation. Um, and then, of course, he you know gave a player impermissible benefit. I wrote the story about that um, when that information came out. Um, he basically paid the player to help her afford some expenses and stuff because um, she couldn't get tuition assistance from the University of Iowa because she wasn't in good enough academic standing when she got here. So while she was struggling, Shemansky helped her. Obviously, you can't do that. He was fired. Coach Brown retained the entire recruiting class, that entire recruiting class, uh, up until Jocelyn Boyer left. So things seemed to be trending in the right direction. But obviously, COVID hit, and then they, Iowa already has a bunch of NCAA recruiting. You know, there was a lot of implications tied into Shemansky's 
uh, cheating and whatnot. So Iowa volleyball already has to deal with the COVID restrictions that are now easing up a little bit, um, but they also have to deal with NCAA recruiting restrictions because of that situation. Um, so their recruiting classes coming in haven't been super stellar. Um, I mean, Iowa picked up a win over Washington State two years ago. That was a win over a ranked team. And shortly after the university announced that they had extended Vicki Brown to a five-year contract. Well, after that, since, since then, essentially, uh, Iowa volleyball has racked up about six-ish wins. <laughs> since that big contract was signed, things haven't exactly been humming right along, um, I would say. So this, the, where Iowa volleyball is at right now, the, the best thing you can say for them, I guess, is they have their own new arena that's just for them, but they don't always get to use it. And sometimes they have to play at Carver. Like, I don't want to sound too mean, but um, I mean, that's probably the most interesting thing going on right now. I mean, they lost Jocelyn Boyer last year, so I don't think they're going to get any better. They were already at the bottom of the conference, so like... I don't know. I would say last year, sorry to cut in, but I would say last year they were a really young team, no seniors, I think three juniors. They had four, three to four, depending on the night, you know, underclassmen in the starting lineup, and they were in the best conference, conference in volleyball. And so that's, you know, that's definitely an issue. You, you saw some people like Adina Schmidt have, have good, you know, um, grew a lot you could tell from their freshman year their sophomore year so hopefully you would think that you know some players like her would continue to grow but Austin I have talked about volleyball a good amount and I'm usually the one with the glass half full and and he's usually the one with the glass half empty so um that's I would every say that, conversation about sports with Austin ever yeah I would at, say last at year Sam, at Sam Darnold <laughs> I would I would say last year also um, you know, it was a little different COVID. It was a conference only schedule. And like we said, you know, big 10 is arguably the best conference of volleyball. The only thing is it's also a conference only schedule this year. So, you know, that's not really an excuse that you can use this year either. So I think it's worth noting also that they're not going to get any run support. Like we're like, Oh, maybe Iowa volleyball will finally turn the corner. Cause they'll get Bree or and Greer Hughes and um, some of those players back those seniors, but will I, I heard you you put the feelers out on this. We know that Briora has moved to Ohio uh, with her now fiance, uh, former Iowa men's basketball center, current Xavier center, Jack Nungy. I mean, they're not going to get any extra run support. Will, what do you know about that situation with the seniors? They had an extra year of eligibility where they could return because of COVID. Yeah. Well, congrats to her. I didn't know that, but I will say none of them are coming back. I reached out to Shane Sturtz, who's the Volleyball SID, I said, can you confer or deny these rumors that they're coming back? And he said, none of them are coming back. So none of them are coming back, which is unfortunate. Like you said, I mean, if those players had come back, Hallie Johnson, Brior, um, Greer Hughes, you know, those are solid players that, you know, were gone last year and could could have provided, you know, help in, in, in places that Iowa really needed it. I mean, Greer Hughes is a good hitter. She, she you know, she's a pretty efficient player. Um, Hallie Johnson is a very good uh, libero and you know with Jocelyn Boyer gone that would have been really clutch but she's not returning either and then Briora um, is you know a staple of Iowa volleyball she's great setter um, on years that the team has just been not very good she's kind of been the best player on the team for since she was a freshman really so I was just gonna have to deal with they did deal with it the way they did last year, you know, find ways to get around it. Courtney Rosario, I could see her stepping in at setter again this year if they want to run a six-two with with Bailey Ortega, or um, Coach Brown could say, you know, 
Bailey's got her one year under her belt. She's going to do it her, do it herself. And, and she had a good year last year. She would have a few games where she would get, you know, 30 assists. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but they're definitely in a tough spot. The only positive thing going for them is that they are older this year. They have, you know, four seniors now and a, a slew of, you know, juniors. So we'll see how that benefits them just having that experience. But yeah, definitely a tough spot for Iowa volleyball. Will, you can try to talk me into this if you want. I'll give you this opportunity now. Uh, will Iowa volleyball not be worse? Like, will Iowa volleyball be worse than they were last year? Or why won't they if they aren't going to be? They lost a lot. Um, you know, they're already by the bottom of the league. Is there any way they stay the same even or perhaps move up in your eyes? I think they're going to be better. And, and like I said, people made strides last year. You know, Jocelyn Boyer, that's big. But Mari Hinkle, she has a lot to like a lot to prove. She's coming in with a chip on her shoulder. When you look at the UCLA roster she was on, she was behind four juniors in the backcourt when she was a sophomore. So it's not like she got beat out by like three freshmen or something. You know, she has a lot to prove. Um, UCLA is a great program. They made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament last year. Um, she has experience um, in some of the biggest matches she's played in, in the NCAA tournament before, tournament before in the first and second round. You know, there were a lot of people that were thinking with Hallie Johnson gone, that backcourt's going to be terrible. And, and, you know, Jocelyn Boyer stepped up. So you could see Mari Hinkle do, uh, you know, a similar thing. Or you could see people like Leanne Lowry, who was honestly very bad last year, got thrown into the fire early, got got some starts and, and struggled, was a little slow to the ball. But, you know, she was a player that was recruited early, I think, in like the eighth grade, and they were waiting for her to get here. So she could really, you know, have some boost. I just think players like Courtney Bazzario, they have some strong middles and Hannah Clayton, relatively strong for, you know, for Iowa. Um, Amaya Jones, you know, they have some pieces that are just returning and I think can only get better. So, yeah, losing Jocelyn Boyer, that's that's a killer. But, you know, we'll see. I think they will be better. Um, last year they only won four matches and it was a little different setup. You would have weekend series where you would play a team on Friday and then play them again the next day on Saturday. It's a little different this year. They have some Wednesday matches. They're not playing back-to-backs every time. So who knows what's going to happen. I think they will win more than four matches though. I, But I also could be completely wrong. So the last thing I want to touch on, since we've already talked about Mari Hinkle, um, and Chloe mentioned this in her rundown. I want to talk about the new assistant they just hired. Chloe, do you want to read those records off again? Uh, yeah. In his first year at Louisiana Tech, they had uh, the Lady Texters actually had a 13 and 15 record, which was their best record since 2003. And then in the 2018, 19, no, wait, no, the 2019, 2020, 21 season, I am simply reflecting on how I got that wrong three times, but they had a one and 19 record and now he is here at Iowa. Okay. Is that how, is that how you're going to preface your argument for why they're going to be worse? You're just going to say, read off those terrible records. And then... <laughs> I mean, I went back for a story I was working on to look at the last time they made the NCAA tournament. I scrolled through every year since Iowa started to log their results online since 2003 did not find that number. If ever they made it, it's hard to say. I'd probably have to put out or they've never made it. Well, I don't think they've ever made it. I think I looked this up. I think I looked at the um, 
Big Ten record books, and they have the n- amount of years. And I don't, I don't, I don't think they've ever finished above third place in the Big Ten. And I think that's only happened like one time. So before before we get too down in the dumps with this, the last thing I want to touch on is typically when you promote a coach or hire someone new, you hire the best people from the best programs. Thirteen and fifteen and one and nineteen don't do it for me. Um, I just want to say that Iowa is historically not that great of a program. But so I think the very good coaches would go to the very good programs. So I don't know if there were a lot of very good coaches per se interested in this job. But do you think there is some coach out there who wasn't one in 19 that would like to move up (laughs) to the big 10 level? I would agree. Yeah. From a different school. I mean, I just feel like, like not to blast William Todge, but does anyone want to disagree with me on I that? Mean, I mean, no, I see what you're saying. I mean, yeah, Iowa volleyball has historically not been very good, but like, it's still the university of Iowa, right? Like, would you rather coach at some like D two school um, or, you know, NAIA school or, you know, whatever D three, or would you rather move up, go to the university of Iowa, prove you can do something. And then, you know, maybe go somewhere else. I mean, I'm, I like you, I'm also really surprised as to why. And like I said, I mean, he's on, we'll see what happens, but you would think that there's some head coach at some D3 school that's winning volleyball matches. That's like, all right, I want to go coach at a D1 program. I mean, it's still the university of Iowa. It's It's still the university of Iowa, but, but as you guys mentioned, you're going against the likes of, Wisconsin, Nebraska, you're going against a really tough volleyball conference. So you're also looking for a coach that's going to leave from a pretty, I don't know, comfortable position in their program to basically be have nowhere to go but up, I guess, is the op is the upside. But at the same time, you're you're really uh, putting your yourself on the line there. But so moving on from volleyball, let's let's talk a little college football. Um, I don't want to say this is a college football podcast, but it kind of is that, especially during the fall. Um, but there's a lot of trendy topics going on in college football right now, namely the 12 team playoff format. Um, I like it. I like 12 teams. I think it's smart to give one through four a bye. Um, there are some obvious flaws that I think they'll get sorted out before it's approved officially like you know why do seeds five through you know whatever get a home game but one through four don't they got to play on a neutral site like college football is not so much about the game but it is a lot a lot of it is about the experience um going to a kinnick stadium or going to a beaver stadium so i'm actually fine with like not having neutral site games for whatever all six games or whatever it happens to be um so that's that's my my big takeaway there um, so that's that's a flaw. Notre Dame can't get a one through four seed because they're not in conference. I actually don't mind that. Notre Dame should just join the ACC. Um, I mean, half their schedules ACC teams anyway. If you want to still play Michigan and Army and Navy, just schedule them non-conference um, or play Texas, schedule them non-conference. Um, but th- those are my initial takeaways. Um, I don't know if any of you want to expand on uh, your initial thoughts about the 12-team playoff. I would agree that it's that it's awesome. Um, I'm personally, I think the, the the four team. You just have the issue of you know, you get three of the same schools every year, and then whatever Big Twelve school they want to throw in there to get you know, beat pretty bad or Notre Dame, 
So, you know, my roommates all my roommates and I always thought it was going to be eight, if anything. I don't even think we ever thought that they were going to expand it. So I think it's actually really cool. And I think 12 teams is awesome. I think, like you said, you know, the flaws um, are there. But, you know, I also really am a fan that the one through four seeds are, you know, teams that won their conference championship. I think that's cool because conference championships still matter. Um, But, yeah, I think it's awesome. And that way we get to see, you know, everybody loves more college football. And even though you might still have the same teams win every year. You might still have Alabama, you know, cruise into the national championship. You still get more college football and you get teams like, you know, you don't have a situation where UCF, you know, goes undefeated and they have nothing to show for it. So mm-hmm. except for like a bowl game. So I think it should be bigger. I think it should be 16. And that's just really to throw, as you guys said, a little bit more representation around, at the very least, the rest of the Power Five, not just, you know, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, your, your usual suspects, but going around, at least throwing a little bit of variation. I know Pac-12, we joke about it's not very good, but, I mean, they're big teams out there. You know, give them a shot. Just keep throwing hurdles in the way of uh, Clemson and Alabama and all them, and hopefully they stumble on one of them. But hopefully with this, you're also looking at teams, like you said, Will, with UCF, or as Austin's aware of my personal vendetta, uh, of the the 2020 Bearcats and how they the blasphemy that they undertook. No, I think I think expansion is great. I've always found it very 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 odd that uh, college football has exponentially more teams than the NFL and has four playoff spots, um, whereas the NFL just went up to 14. So yeah, I think it's a step in the right direction. A lot more football, which for the college athletes is going to be a little bit tough, but. I think they can handle it, especially if a lot of them will be going on to professional relatively soon. So I think that is a big key, right? Everyone gets a seat at the table now. I like the conference championships get an automatic bid. Uh, now, you, if you have two group of five teams like Cincinnati and UCF that go through undefeated seasons, at least you can say, hey, we gave you a chance to win the national title. Like that's always been a big problem in college football is not everyone feels like there's a seat at the table for them. Um, it's like, you know, kind of the good old boys club, so to say. Um, and if you're not the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, I mean, the Pac-12 kind of no one likes them. Um, the ACC with Clemson, not the rest of the league. Uh, so if you're not one of the good old boys, then you don't have a seat at the table. And I think with student athletes, like playing more games, obviously at Alabama, you're like, oh, OK, that's more games for us. But if you're looking at it like in terms of the rest of the country now, if you're Iowa every year, you're like, we can make the playoff. Um, Iowa the last couple of years has been a perennial, you know, perennial top 20 team. Um, and they could this year certainly break into the top 12. And that's kind of my last like thing I want to hit on here. Like if you're going to go to 12 teams, don't wait until like 2025, 26, because now every single team that's ranked fourth through 12 or fifth through 12th in the AP poll is going to be like, wow we really should have be, we should be in the playoff right now but instead we're in the scrub bowl in detroit like i don't want to and people always talk about oh the bowl system is going to be compromised make the playoff games a bowl, bowl game i don't care <laughs> bowl season isn't that interesting anymore bowl season is really just an exhibit like anymore a bowl game is just a look at next year's team Yep. Um, what pieces do you have? Because a lot of NFL prospects are like, no, I'm not going to blow out my knee for the Fiesta Bowl um, if it's not a playoff game. So that's that's my big thing. If you're going to do 12, 
don't wait around, do it now because student athletes are going to want to play for a national championship, even if it's in a roundabout way and they're the 12 seed and they don't have much of a chance. Yeah, Kurt Ferentz did an interview with The Athletic and he said that he didn't like the four team system because it kind of just overshadowed the Bulls. Well, I mean, at this point, like, everything's going to overshadow the Bulls. I mean, nobody really cares about those random bowl games. I mean, get, you win six games and you get a bowl then you get a bowl game. And it's like, I don't really care about watching this six team, the six win team play this other team from some random conference. And, yep. you know, the, the playoffs are what matter. Um, and like you said, it's awesome that Iowa, you know, has more of a chance now because usually it's like, you got to win every game and then you got to beat Ohio state. And as of, as of late, you know, I, I'm a, I'm going to be a junior at the university of Iowa and I wasn't really a big Iowa person. I'm not from Iowa but I've never even thought that we had a chance to win the make it to the college football playoffs. Cause I've always just seen that I, Ohio state is the better team. And then another thing I wanted to point out is you don't have a situation that you had with Ohio state this year. You know, it was different. It was COVID. It was a little different, but with more teams, you're not going, Oh my gosh, we have to break these rules we made to get them into the big 10 championship to make sure that they can be one of the four teams in the college football playoff. You know, exactly. If they're one of the best teams, they're going to be a five through 12 seed, even if they don't win the big 10 championship, because you had to break rules to get them in and you don't even have that conversation because you have 12 teams and, and they're one of those five through 12 seeds. So to sort of put a bowl, like a bow on it. Put a bowl on it? You said you were going to say put a bowl on it? So to sort of put a bow on this ruining the bowl system. <laughs> I don't think people watch small bowls anyway right now. Like, it's not like they're going to be losing. Like, bowl games are already so regionalized, right? Like, no one is watching Iowa versus Mississippi State in the Outback Bowl other than – Iowa and Mississippi state fans, right? Like these bowl games are already regionalized. College football is becoming more and more regionalized and less national. So if you want college football to be national again and be relevant on a national scale, I'm like, you know, you have sports like baseball where you only care about your team, but it's not like the NFL where every team matters to you. You're just a fan of the league, not just a team uh, in college football. It's, it's, you're pretty much a fan of a team right now. Um, but if you have a 12-team playoff, I think you have more people that will become, hey, I'm a fan of the sport, not just the Hawkeyes or the Buckeyes or whatever it is. If you look at all the exciting playoff you know, formats, I mean, you look at March Madness, you look, you look at what's going on with the college baseball um, World Series right now. I mean, it's exciting because you have more games, more stuff to happen. Like I said, this might not change anything. You might see Alabama go on and just beat all these teams anyway and, and Clemson do the same thing. But it provides more room for things to happen. And like you said, college football is a little more regionalized. And this gets people more interested just because, you know, you put Cincinnati in there like in 2020. You put UCF. You like you, 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 you support the fans. You, you let more fans see their teams on the national scale. Even if Cincinnati goes in there – and gets blown out by Alabama, they still got excited and got to see their team in the college football playoff. You know, that's that's big, and I think it's good for the sport. I think people are, you know, they're losing fans sort of right now with this four-team system just because you kind of know what's going to happen yep. before the season starts. Yeah, the only year it wasn't chalk was 2015, uh, or basically chalk was when Ohio State snuck in as a four and won the whole thing. 
Um, so the very first year of the playoff. Other than that, it's been pretty predictable. Um, and I will move on to capacity restrictions in college football. Um, we've already seen a lot of uh, teams say, hey, 100% this fall. USC did it the other day. Illinois did it two weeks ago. Um, not that Illinois is going to have 100%. I was like, about to say, that's optimistic. <laughs> good for them. They're not going to have 100% capacity anyway. Because, um, you know, they just won't sell enough tickets to do that like normal. Um, but uh, I don't know, do do we feel like college football is going to be its normal self next year? Because really college football is a fan sport. It's about the experience. And last year, the sport felt kind of hollow without fans in the stands across the country. If there are any SEC fans for some reason listening to this podcast, you have no reason to worry. You will, <laughs> I, I 100% believe that no matter what the vaccination rates are or your or the infection rate, you will be in a college football stadium this year. Same goes for the Big 12, and and probably same goes for the ACC. You know, I'm from Virginia. They're they're probably going to do that. So, um, you know, I would assume that most, I think across the country, most schools will have, at least for students. I mean, I don't see them limiting students, at least. It kind of, because that also depends on what the school does based on if you have to get vaccinated just to come back to school. So I think if you're a student, you should be very confident, like almost certain that you're going to be in a stadium this year at a D1 university. Um, and yeah, I agree with Siobhan. So regionally, if you're in the SEC, the big 12 or the ACC, you have no reason to worry. You're, you're going to be in a stadium. So I don't see any reason why I was not going to go hundred percent. I think they're going to have the band. I think they're going to have Herky. Uh, I think it's full throttle because we forget that football is such a huge driver for all these athletic departments, right? Limiting capacity is a holding measure. Um, These programs cannot continue to survive uh, without making cuts like we saw at Iowa or things like that. So I I think that's a huge part of it, right? Like you've seen it in professional sports already. Leagues have gone a hundred percent. It's just because, that's that's you know that's the way they have to do that's the way they have to do it to survive that's their primary revenue stream uh particularly in major league baseball college football um in the nhl you know they don't have huge tv contracts like uh the nfl and nba do i think everywhere is going to start to go 100 percent, no matter what i don't think i mean obviously there will be certain regions like siobhan said where I, it'll be unfair for certain teams like we've seen with the Clippers in the playoffs so far this year in the NBA. Um, they had to go to Utah and play in front of 30,000 fans in Utah, and then they got to go home and play in front of 7,000 people and 13,000 cardboard cutouts. Um, so I, it's, it's unfair. It's, it sucks. Kirk Ferentz has commented on his disdain for cardboard cutouts before. Um, so I, I just – I think that we're going to – like like Will said – uh, not a lot of schools have to worry that they won't be 100%. Um, but for Iowa in particular, they have generated a new revenue stream, um, unless, Chloe, you would like to add anything on playoff restrictions play- or capacity uh, restrictions. I just think especially because most football stadiums are outside. I don't know if there are any indoor college football stadiums. Like, especially because they're outside, they're, I don't think there's going to be an issue for most teams. So there's only two indoor stadiums I can think of, and that's North Dakota State. So that's definitely full. Uh, and Northern Iowa, definitely full. So uh, not, to, not to stereotype an entire state, but I just did. 
Uh, needless to say, when I went out for the Iowa Gonzaga game in uh, South Dakota uh, in December in the heat of Corona, I think the mask percentage was 0%. Uh, and that was when there was, you know, million infections a day in the United States. Uh, so anyway, that's not important. Uh, the last key detail with college football that I want to talk about pertains to Kinnick Stadium specifically uh, and the sale of beer and wine at football games this fall. Um, Iowa has that whatever 50 million-ish, give or take, uh, athletics deficit. And um, I think this will help that dissipate a little bit quicker um, I don't know if I want to. I'll get. I'll get the panel's initial feedback on that announcement, both as fans and you know, capital J journalists. I my initial reaction is that the fact that there will be no alcohol being sold adjacent to the student section will not deter the students. It just won't happen. If they can sneak shooters into the stadium or sneak like full bottles or full cans of beer into the stadium, <laughs> they can walk like maybe to the other section to get alcohol. <laughs> I would agree with what Chloe said. If you think that moving <laughs> the alcohol, uh, making sure you're not selling alcohol at the concession stand right behind the student section, uh, we students have legs. We, we can walk. Yeah. You don't have cars on campus. We probably, a lot of us don't have cars <laughs> on campus. We walk to the West campus to go to this game. We can walk. A little farther to, to go get alcohol not we as in me but you know we as in <laughs> students that, that can drink um, the collective student body yes the collective student body there you go over 21 of course you know good for them they need to make money so they don't cut any more sports you know like men's <laughs> tennis shout out ross wilson i've been i feel like i've been uh semi-demoted austin to a lowercase j journalist so i, I let the other two go first but as a lowercase J journalist and as someone who has been in Kinnick Stadium quite a few times over my career, I, I audibly laughed when I saw that their big selling point was we're not going to sell it at the concession stand near the student section. We're going to sell it all the way away. Kinnick is one big hallway underneath those stands. It is it is not. You could probably throw a baseball from the student section concession stand to another one that sells alcohol. It is, it's a straight line. It is wide open. That is just laughable that that was the actual point that they made. If they just said that they were going to, you know, strictly monitor it, A, I doubt it, but B, that would be, that would be a lot better, you know, a lot more convincing than just, why don't we take the alcohol and push it somewhere else? Like that's, that's really what they're saying at that point. I mean, they said all the right things that you need to say when you do this and make this move. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are talking about an athletic department that's $50 million down. So every beer counts. Every, every, every single one of them counts. And there are other ways underage people will, will get Kinnick Stadium beer. I mean, I am 21. Is Are they going to limit me if I'm like, yes, I would like 10 beers? <laughs> what are they going to do? Be like, no, 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 no. They need $50 million. It's like Dodgeball, the movie with Vince Vaughn. They're like, how are we going to come up with $50,000? And instead of play Dodgeball, the athletic department's like, sell alcoholic beverages. Yeah. I would like 10 beers, please, <laughs> just, just for myself. <laughs> and you can tell it's okay because I walked all the way to this concession stand <laughs> and not the other one. Throw my fake mustache on and come back later. Yeah, I would like 10 more. <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, Shivansh, unless anyone has anything else on this, I will give you your 180 seconds of F1 talk. Last time I said that we may have a, an actual title fight on our hands this year. I'm happy to say that we do have a title fight on our hands this year. Very happy to say that. For the first time rel- this relatively late in the season, uh, Lewis Hamilton is not in the lead. He's in second place. Uh, obviously, last time that happened was 2016 when Nico Rosberg won the championship in the same car. However, this year, Mercedes might not be the fastest car. It might be the Red Bulls, which is why Max has had such a comfortable lead. And I think that's why both the Mercedes have been struggling. Um, 180 seconds isn't enough to talk about the second Mercedes. I'm only 15 seconds in. Wow, I've already gotten a lot done. But anyway, uh, both the Red Bulls look really good. Uh, as a constructor, they're head and shoulders above um above Mercedes, especially after that last race in Baku when neither Mercedes scored points and Red Bull were looking good for a one-two there, but that didn't happen. Um some of the young guns are looking better. Ferrari's looking a lot better than they used to than they were last year. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they're cheating again, if they have an illegal engine um, like they did in 2019. But uh, something happened, and they're competitive, so it's kind of fun. Either way, multiple teams up in the top. Uh, the top five drivers are from four different teams. So that's really good for the sport. It's really good competition. It's especially good to see heading into next year when the cars are going through a complete redesign. That should shake up the grid relatively. They're also introducing a cost cap, which is kind of like a salary cap, but kind of with research and development into the car. So that's also going to shake things up. You just really want to see the sport get more competitive. The last seven for the last seven years, the Constructors' Championship was won by Mercedes, which if you think about an NBA team or an NFL team winning the Super Bowl every for seven years in a row, uh, that would not sit well. So um, really good for the sport. It's really fun to see. It's been really entertaining. Triple header starting this week uh, starts with France, which is not a fantastic track. But then we get two races in Austria, which is... Uh, which will make up for it. That's a great track. So season's only like a quarter of the way done. And we are, it is far more entertaining than it has been in a long time. So that's where I'll leave it. Uh, this has been the DI scoreboard. Uh, <laughs> I've been your host, Austin Hansen. Uh, thanks to Siobhan Jehuja for keeping that under two minutes for my sanity. I got you. And uh, thanks to Will Feynman and Chloe Peterson for joining us. We hope uh, you enjoyed listening to us at home this week. Hope you'll join us again next week. Well, actually, bi-weekly pods. Two weeks from now, uh, we hope you'll join us. Um, And who knows what cast and crew we'll have and what topics we'll have. Uh, Because we don't. We literally didn't know this one until like an hour ago. Two weeks is a long ways away. (laughs) Um, But as always, this podcast is sponsored by absolutely no one. I have no potential sponsors this week. I mean, maybe F1, but they seem a little bit too big. Um, I do have one other college football topic in the tank, Uh, Chloe, unless you'd like to add anything uh, to all this 12-team playoff chatter we've talked about. I do not have anything eloquent to say at this time. Do you have anything non-eloquent to say? Um, not really. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Yay, 12-team playoffs.